actually we have spent um, a very long time in the Holy Spirit uh, because there's so many parts to it that we needed to cover. We needed to talk about who he is. We needed to talk about a life in the Spirit. We needed to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And so we, we took a lot of time with that. And um, I hope that you've come out with a lot of clarity on the Holy Spirit, the subject of the Holy Spirit, who he is, why he's in you, uh, what he's doing for you in the earth, and those type of things. And um, so we're going to get into a new series here. Um, everything that we have heard, it's almost like each one keeps building on itself in the sense that what you hear in the previous series is necessary for the next series. And you'll find that that's just the way the Bible is anyways, that it's applicable to anything you're doing in life. Uh, how many of you have read uh, one verse many different times and it's told you something different every time? That's just the way the Bible is. That's the, the, the Bible is alive. It's active. You, you think about that. It is the only book in the entire world that can meet you where you're at today. There's no math book, there's no history book, there's no textbook, there's no other reading book that can meet you right where you're at, at that very moment. But because the Word of God is alive and active, it will shift to meet you where you're at, at that moment. And so the, the two series that we've hit on so far, Renewing Your Mind, uh, the Holy Spirit, those are things that you're going to continue to see uh, highlighted throughout everything that we say. Um, don't ever disregard it and say, all right, we've moved on to the next thing. I've gotten past that because that is just what it's almost like going through grade school. And what you learned in second grade helped you with algebra. If you don't know two plus two is four, then you're not going to know A plus B equals C. So there's foundations that we're building on. And um, so I just wanted to make that quick note. Um, you know, that, that as we go from series to series and as we continue to jump in these things, uh, be mindful of what you've learned. Be mindful of what we have hit on and, um, and we'll be able to move forward with uh, a lot of effectiveness. We're going to be talking for the next while um, on kingdom keys, kingdom keys, keys to the kingdom. Um, you know that you've heard me uh, talk a lot about the kingdom. Um, the Bible is about a kingdom. God came to set up a government system. He did not come to, to set up a religion or just a belief system or just put people here on the earth for a little while so we can all wish that one day we were in heaven. God has a government system uh, in order on the earth where we're at today. And um, keys are necessary. We're going to look at it here that... God, or Jesus, when he was speaking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, he told him that I will, you will get the keys of the kingdom, which means that there is something to unlock. Uh, keys, you don't need a key if something is already opened. Now, I'm not saying that God has locked things away, but there are things that you need to know to access things in the kingdom of God. There are things we need to know to apply. There are things that we need to know to do. There are things that we need to have a knowledge of before we'll see them uh, operated in our life. Let's go ahead and look at this in Matthew chapter 16. Let's start there. And I want to, really tonight we're going to lay a foundation. Um, I'm going to tell you right now that 
uh, we're gonna, I'm going to make some very bold statements tonight. Um, some of this is what we've already heard. If you've been with us for uh, any period of time now, um, the kingdom is something that I talk about every week. It's not just a topic. It's not a theme. It is what the Bible is all about. And um, I don't talk lightly about it. It's a very important subject. And so tonight I want to lay a foundation of what the kingdom is because a lot of us, uh, well, in fact, all of us as believers, you have keys. And there's nothing more irritating than having a key and not knowing what it goes to. That's almost as irritating as needing to get into something and not having the key. But when you have a key in your hand and you don't know what in the world it goes to, that's frustrating. And there are specific keys for specific things. In fact, uh, at this location, there is a specific key for that door and there is a specific key for the one next to it. And if I go to either door with the opposite key, I'm not getting in. And so there's a lot of believers that are trying to access things in the kingdom of God that we have access to. We just don't know which key it is or how to use the key properly. Or we just have this big old keychain and we're just going through, fumbling through, trying to figure things out. For example, uh, there is a key for healing and there is a key for finance. You cannot use the same key for both. A lot of people, uh, when, you, when, when, when you are sick and you need healing, what does the Bible say? Go to the elders of the church for prayer. Pray the prayer of faith. But the Bible says nothing about praying for finances. So people are trying to fix a financial situation by praying it out. God, help me with this. God, help me with this. I'm believing for this. The Bible doesn't say to pray for that. The Bible says to sow. Bible says the key for financial breakthrough in your life is to sow, is to give, and it will be given back to you. So we got to know the right key. We got to know that this keychain that we have has all these keys on it, and there's a specific key to unlock a specific thing in the kingdom of God that we have access to. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Uh, look at this in Matthew chapter 16. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we speak with boldness and with clarity. We have ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is talking with his disciples. He just asked them one of the most important questions he would ever ask them. He said, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Then he looks at his disciples and says, well, who do you say that I am? And we know Peter, the bold one of the group, steps forward and he says, Well, you know, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. So this is Jesus' response in verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. So he's right here, this is the first time Jesus even mentions the church. We are all a part of the church, so... We need to listen up. This is about us. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The first thing that Jesus gives to his church is keys. Now, what do these keys mean? Keys denote several different things. Keys 
First of all, they denote access. If you have the key to something, then you have access to it. If I give someone a key to this building, then you have access to go into this building, to be able to go inside of it, grab whatever you need to get, or do whatever you need to do. Keys also represent authority. You have been authorized to come into the building because I have given you the key. Me handing you a key to this building authorizes you to enter the building. If someone were to show up and say, hey, what are you doing here? Uh, I've been authorized. I have the authority to enter the building. Pastor Mark gave me the key. Okay? Also with that authority uh, is means that you get to act with the authority of the person who gave it to you. Now, that's important. That means that if I hand someone the key and I give you certain directions to come inside the building, then you have the authority that I would have inside that building because I handed, to you, handed it to you. Uh, responsibility. There's a responsibility now. I mean, we went through this down in St. Augustine. We moved into a new building there at the church and uh, handed out some keys. And then we would find out that some doors would be left unlocked or things weren't put back in the place that they should have been, well, what happened? We get to go to the person who had the key who was there last and say, you were responsible for putting this away, or you were responsible for checking all the doors and making sure they were locked. You were responsible. There's now a responsibility that takes place that is put upon a person because a key is handed over. And then lastly, a key notes power. Power. You have the power. If I give someone a, 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 a key to my vehicle, then they have the power to drive my vehicle. Okay? So access, authority, responsibility, and power. So this is what Jesus is handing over to the church. Right out of the gate, Jesus is handing over access to the kingdom of heaven. He's handing over the authority or the authorization to go into the kingdom of heaven and access heaven. That's necessary because, remember, Jesus told us to pray that the will of the Father in heaven would be done on the earth. So we need access. We need authorization. Power. Jesus is now handing over the power of the kingdom of heaven to his disciples and to his church. And then, of course, we see there's a responsibility. We now have a responsibility as being handlers of these keys there's nothing worse than being responsible for something and you don't know what it does or what it's supposed to do. That's terrible. When you become responsible for something, you want inside information. You want to know, all right, what am I being responsible for? What, what, am, what am I in control over? Here is basically what the keys of the kingdom are. The, the simplest way to put it, the keys of the kingdom are God's way of doing things. God's way of doing things. It is the kingdom way of getting something done. Now, the reason why this is so important is because we sometimes try to use a worldly key to get us access into the kingdom of heaven. We tell God we want his help and we say, God help us, but then, you know, we fall short and we end up just going to worldly means and trying to figure it out on our own. And a again, if you're using the wrong key, you're not going to get the same result. You're not going to get access. So basically, when we go through the keys of the kingdom, 
we're looking at God's way of doing something. If I want if I want the key to healing, to unlock healing in my life, then I need to know how to do it God's way. Because healing is of the kingdom. Healing is not of this world. We know that. This world has death roaming in it. This world has sickness. Okay? If we want healing, we need to get that from the kingdom of heaven. And we unlock that by doing it God's way. Same with finances. Same with our marriages. Same with believing for a job. We need to do things God's way. So that is what the keys of the kingdom, in its simplest form, that is what it is. Now here's the thing. God has a very specific design and order. You've heard me talk about this before, and we'll probably at some point through this series hit on it again. But God has a design and order to everything that he's put into place. And you've heard me say before, the Bible shows us that he only inhabits, he only lives in, he only moves in what we do according to his design and order. So that means we need to find out his mind and his intent on this thing. And too many times, you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy because the Bible, the Word of God, is probably is one of the most misunderstood bu- books that we have. Of all the books in the world, it's one of the most misunderstood books among men. Think about this. Religions. I looked it up today. There are over, there, there are hundreds of religions around the world. Hundreds of religions. What is a religion? A religion, simplest definition, is a belief system or a faith. So there are, for all the people, for the six point, however many billion people that are on the face of the planet, there is some sort of belief system that they attain to. And there are over a hundred of them that they can pick from or choose from or that they claim to be a part of. Get this, in Christianity which is considered a religion in this world. In fact, it is the most popular religion. Over 30% of the world affirms to being a Christian or being a part of Christianity. But in Christianity itself, there are over 3,800 denominations. 3,800 different ways to look at this book. That's what a denomination is. I see it differently than you. I read it this way. So this is how I see it. So let's form a denomination. 3,800 different ways to read one book. There's no math book that can claim that. There's no history book that can claim that. There's no science book that can claim that. There's different people that believe different things about science, but not that many. <laughs> Talking close to 4,000 different ways to read one book. That's what a denomination is. So, it stands to say that there's a little bit of confusion about what the Bible says. And the clearest form that I've ever seen the Word of God is in the way that God meant it to be from the beginning, and that is in the form of a government. Tonight, the title of my message is Politics. And, I mean, and I'll tell you what, I believe that the enemy has uh, put such a wall between government and the Bible 
government and Christianity, government and Jesus, government and God, because he knows the two go together so well. And we've had presidents that understood that. We've had presidents that don't understand that. But, you know, I just read this past week a very, uh, a very saddening article. We know that our president just made a claim, just took a position on something in the United States that, uh, you know, is up for all kinds of scrutiny. And again, as we've said before, uh, when you begin to tolerate things and when you compromise things, they become the norm. And when I was growing up, same-sex marriage would have never been a question. And now here we are 20-something years later, and it's just becoming an everyday occurrence. You can go down your high schools, you can go in the mall, go driving down the road. And now we've got a very influential man uh, making a very bold statement in his position on it. But here's what's saddening. And this is why the, the, the kingdom message is so important. Because even Christianity, even Christians... I'm, ta- I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about just Christianity, just people that believe that there was a God, that there is a God that sent his son to die on a cross, rise again for, and for, died for our sins, rose again so we can go to heaven. Just that. And there's over 3,800 different ways to read this book. I'm not talking about Muslim and Islam and Mormons and, and all that stuff. So just within Christianity, this article said, that there is a bigger split in churches on a same-sex issue than there is in the world. I'm telling you right now, it's not the church versus the world. It's the church versus the church. Because we have some churches that thinks, it, that thinks it's all right. Then we have some churches that make a very bold statement and say, are you kidding me? It's a sin. God has outlined it very clearly. And then we want to justify both sides instead of just taking the word side. But we have allowed something to creep into the church. You've heard me talk about it very often, and it is Americanized thinking. And I love this country. I love everything that we have. Uh, and the government system that we have is the best in the world today because we have corrupt people in office, and it keeps us, the people, from having to sit un- under someone that is corrupt and only has his will and intentions at heart. But a kingdom is the best form of government if you have a king that has the people's interest at heart. Period. You know as well as I do, you would have no problem serving under someone that was only looking out for your day-to-day issues. And you do. He is God. God is king, and he's able to look at your life and your life and your life individually without another thought about someone else, without another thought. He's able to look at you and say, I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you, a great future, a great hope. That's the God we serve. But in the church, we've allowed this opinionated voting mindset come in and 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 i've seen it happen in churches all too often where we bend things to try to accommodate people and not even jesus did this in his ministry 
he did it. And we'll look at it. People talk about Jesus loved people. Jesus came for people. He sure did. But he did not love people beyond his mission. Because I could tell you about a man, one of his closest friends that stood up in his face and said, no, you're not going to Jerusalem. No, you're not going to die. And he called him Satan. Jesus turned to one of his best friends, Peter, at a time when Jesus wasn't really making any friends. People are leaving, people are falling away, and he turns to his disciples and says, what, you going to go too? Everybody else is leaving. Jesus was not more in love with people than to, to bend his vision and his mission. But yet this has crept in the church. This appeased the people in, in voting and, well, what do the people think and if they have an opinion? You've got to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. You've got to do what God's called you to do, period. And so this kingdom message, this kingdom teaching is what is needed. And, and I'm telling you right now, um, you know, I, I may not have been making as big of a deal as, of it as I, I have before, uh, we're about to get back into it and continue to lay that foundation. I'm telling you right now, you don't, you didn't get it the first time. I didn't get it the first time. I remember the first time I heard it. And thank God I had a pastor that kept bringing it every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Wednesday, ingraining that thing. And even when I had questions, even when I had doubts, even when I started to see some other stuff, I was able to get back in alignment because of what the Word says. That the kingdom message is what the Bible is all about. And so tonight what I want to do is I just kind of want to lay a foundation of the kingdom. Once again, again, this may be, uh, you know, recourse. This may be something you have heard before. We may be reiterating some stuff, but take it to heart. Take it to heart, not just your head, but let it go to your heart. And... Um, because, you know, we have all these keys, but we just don't know what they go to. And we need to know what they go to. The kingdom message is the most, and it brings with it the most opposition. This message alone. Um, the second we started preaching this message in St. Augustine, it, it, turned the, it cranked the heat up, man. <laughs> it cranked it up. And... It only began to identify us with Jesus' ministry, with the apostles' ministry. And I'm not saying that we do it for the opposition. We just love, you know, people being against us. That's not it at all. But this is the message that is so hard fought today. And it has waned and it has been missing since the apostles, since the disciples, since the end of this book in Revelation. Something happened to where this message, and I believe it was just simply the opposition, because it's not an easy message to preach. It's not an easy message to tell people, because it takes away, uh, especially in this nation. Now, I could go to some other nations that have kings and that have royalty and that understand kingdoms, and they they would take it easy. Another, another uh, people group that... Uh, has no issue with this message is children. Teaching the kingdom and preaching the kingdom to children is easy because Jesus said that you have to enter the kingdom like a child with childlike faith. 
But there have been times where direct opposition has come to this message alone. And we, we have seen things change as soon as we began, we began to preach it, because in the United States, it fights everything that we hold on to so dearly. Our individualism and our opinions and uh, being able to vote in our rights. I mean, that's one of the biggest things in the United States today is I, I have rights. I, I have a say. Well, let me tell you my opinion on the matter. But see, in a kingdom... Kingdom citizens only have the opinion of the government that they serve and that they live under. That means I don't have an opinion. Same-sex marriage. If someone came to me and said, what do, you, what do you think about homosexuality? Well, you know what? What I think about it doesn't matter. But let me tell you what my God thinks about it. Because I carry his opinion. Because Paul called us ambassadors. An ambassador is a direct representative of the country or kingdom that he works for, the nation. We have ambassadors in other countries right now. I can promise you they aren't out there seeking their own interest. They're not out there, well, let me tell you what I think about this issue. They're only speaking forth what the United States has to say about that issue, period. That's an ambassador. So... It, it, it begins to pull, but I'll tell you, the more that you let those things go and the more that you find yourself in alignment with the kingdom and kingdom thinking and a kingdom lifestyle, then we can take these keys and apply them and the access and the power, the responsibility, those things will begin to line up in your life and you'll see, because remember, if you saw that verse, verse 19, when the keys were given, what happened? then heaven responded to what we do on earth. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I don't know about you, but I want heaven acting on my behalf. I want the things that are in heaven, I want the the actions of heaven to be backing me up. That's what I want. And so... Uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to just lay this foundation. I'm going to make, I have five misconceptions. Five misconceptions that the kingdom confronts. And those, that's what I want to outline tonight. These are going to be very bold statements. These, uh, some of these, even though you may have heard them, they may fight and, and tear away at your mind of things that you've heard before. But allow the word to bring clarity. Allow the word to bring light. Amen. Um, first one that I want to hit on. Jesus is not a religious figure. I told you they're going to be in your face. They're right there. Jesus is not a religious figure. The number one thing you're going to find from the kingdom message is you will begin to see this word and you will begin to see everything that's in the word in light of government. I'm about to bring, I'm about to take away the whole separation of church and state. We're about to do away with that whole thing. Go ahead and get it out. Because God never wanted a separation between government and church. In fact, I'm here to tell you today that government is the answer. Not the government we see, but government, what God came to establish, it is the answer. The kingdom is what every single person on this earth is searching for, whether they know it or not. Even people that reject the kingdom message 
turn away and are still looking for what the kingdom has to offer. They're still searching for it. The first thing, Jesus is not a religious figure. If Jesus is a religious figure, then we put him at the level of Buddha. We put him at the level of Muhammad. That's where he is in our books. He's just another religious figure. Now, we know he's alive. We know he's not dead like the others. We know that he hears us when we pray. We know that he's an advocate to the Father. But he's more than just a religious figure. In fact, we'll clarify that further on. But look at this in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the religion will be upon his shoulder. Is that what it says? No. It says, And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All those terms are government terms. They are terms speaking of people in positions in government. Remember, this, you got to go back to Bible times. Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne, who sits on a throne? A king. The throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is a prophecy of Jesus' birth. We know we read this around Christmas time. We've missed it every year. Up until now, and now we see that this verse is actually declaring the coming of a king who is going to rule over a kingdom, a government, and he, that's how he's going to rule it, with order, with justice, with peace. Now, John chapter 18. This is Jesus speaking. He's on trial. He is standing in front of a government official, a governor. Named Pilate. And him and Pilate are having this discourse. They're having this conversation. And, you know, Pilate's throwing it around leisurely. Oh, you know, they say that you're a king. King of the Jews. Blah, blah, blah. But look what Jesus has to respond with. Pilate, therefore, said to him, Are you a king? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born... And for this cause that I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Even Jesus himself calls himself a king. And he says, for this purpose, for this reason, for this cause, I came into the world. Jesus is a king. He is over a kingdom. He is over a government. Jesus is not a religious figure. He's not the head of Christianity. You won't even see Jesus ever use the word Christian or Christianity. 
And you will find throughout his ministry, the number one thing he was trying to tear down his entire three years was religion. That's the, those are the people that opposed him. Those are the people that came against him. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the elders, the scribes, the rulers and leaders of the synagogues. The churchy people were the ones that gave him the greatest opposition. The religious people. In fact, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you know, on the outside you look all clean and good because that's, what, that's all religion can do for you. That's all it can do for you. Religion is just a list of do's and don'ts. If you wear your hair right, if you wear the right clothes, if you say the right thing, if you talk the right way, if you walk the right way, if you pray out on the corner, you look good on the outside. So that's your product of religion. But I've come to bring a kingdom that changes you on, from the inside out. You'll look good on the outside, but it's because you are good on the inside. That's what Jesus came to bring. Number two, misconception number two. The Bible is not a religious book. The Bible is not a religious book. If Jesus is not a religious person, and Jesus is the Word, John chapter 1, then that means the Bible is no longer just a religious book with religious code of do's and don'ts on black and white paper that we adhere to or read a couple good stories every now and then. The Bible is a government document. The Bible is a government document. And let me take it one step further. The Bible is law. The Bible is the word of God. God is a king. King that rules in heaven. Anything that a king says becomes law. So his word, therefore, is law. Look at this in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. This is God talking to Joshua. Moses has just, been, uh, has just died, and now he is right, he's raising up Joshua to take his people into the promised land. And he tells Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Why? That you may observe to do, that you may observe to obey the law. According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. If you want to look for prosperity and for, for success, go to God's word the law, and obey it. See, I'm successful when I drive down this road and stop at a red light down at the end of the road. That's prosperous and successful for me. Why? Because I obtained the law and I obeyed it. I lived according to it. And you have to be in it day and night. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't just happen to know that you have to stop on red and go on green. What I have to do? I had to study that. Someone had to inform me of that. Someone had to tell me that. So we have to get in the law. Look at Psalms chapter 1. Psalm 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And in his law, he meditates day and night. He's talking about God's word. He's talking about the word of God. God's word is law. It is the government document that tells us how to live. That gives us our instruction. It is the laws of the kingdom. This government that we live in, this society, this nation, has laws. There are laws that we must abide by. And the more laws you know, the better off you are. That's why sometimes we get a lawyer. Because they know the law. They study it. And even when we may not know the law, we may not be abiding by it, or we may be and don't even know it, And so we may be going to court for something that we don't even know that we're actually in the right for. This happened uh, just recently with the church, Anchor Faith, down in St. Augustine. There was an issue with a a, a property owner that we were with at the time. We were leasing a building from. And they told us that we couldn't be in that building. The, The type of occupancy that we were looking for uh, that we could not be in this certain building. It was a storefront in a shopping area, and apparently they wanted to say that it was zoned for this. Well, you know what? We got our lawyers on it. We didn't just say, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry to bother you. No, we got our lawyers on it and say, is this true? Well, come to find out, it wasn't. We had every right to be in that building, and so we had to go to a hearing, and sure enough, there's nothing they could do. Why? Because we went to someone that knows the law. The law doesn't help you if you don't know it. You will break the law. See, the law is is your boundary. The law is your guidelines, your safekeeping. And if you stay within that boundary, if you stay within those limitations, you're good. And you can either... But see, the law, it it will get you in trouble or it can guard you. It depends on what side of the law. You're on. Okay? So the Bible is not a religious document. It is God's law. It is God's word. And since he's a king, his word becomes law. Misconception number three. One of my favorites. God is not in control. I know we've heard that one for years. I know that that is something we have lived by. Well, God's in control. I can't explain it. I don't have any clarity. I mean, there's 3,800 different ways to look at this thing. And, you know, I don't know which one it is, but God's in control. A lot of things we just chalk up for God is in control when he's really not. So let's look at a couple verses. Obviously, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. That means with our qualities, our characteristics. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful Multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The word dominion itself means 
control. The word dominion is where we get the word kingdom. The suffix dumb, same as in dominion, meaning control, meaning territory, meaning domain. A kingdom is a king's control. A, 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 a kingdom is a territory that a king has control or dominion over. That's what a kingdom is. And so right here we see that God hands over the control of the earth to man. God being king in heaven did not want to rule, did not intend to rule the earth from heaven. He wanted the earth to look just like heaven. In fact, this earth was never intended to operate outside of heaven. It was to be a reflection. The Garden of Eden was a reflection of heaven. There's no death in heaven, no death in the garden. No sickness in heaven, no sickness in the garden. All prosperity in heaven, all provision in the garden. Until man forfeited that, handed over that control. In Psalms chapter 115, Psalms 115 verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, are, meaning belonging to. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The earth he has handed over control. You've heard me talk about ownership versus control. God is in ownership, but he is not in control. I own that black titan sitting out front. But if I give Chuck the keys to my titan, he's now in control over it. I own it. But now since he's, control, he's in control, even though I may give instruction, he has the ability to go outside of that instruction. I may say, hey, I need you to go pick this up and take it here. And he may decide to go on a trip with it. He may decide to go pick up something for himself and take it to his own house and never do what I ask him to do. It's in his control. He's the one that determines how fast he goes. He's the one that determines how much gas is put in it. He's the one that determines when the oils change. He's the one that determines all these things. I own it, but he's in control. God owns the earth, but he has put someone else in control of the earth. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus, with his disciples, is crossing a lake to get to the other side. He's sleeping in the bottom of a boat. A storm rises, and his disciples are freaking out. Now, if we say that God is in control, when Jesus gets out on the edge of that boat and calms the storm, then Jesus was actually rebuking his Father. Because God's in control. He put the storm there. So what business does Jesus have telling his own Father to do away with the storm? And, of course, today we call these kind of catastrophes acts of God. No, no, that's just not true. Well, God's in control. God's in control of one thing, his word. But let me tell you how tight God is to his law. 
Let me tell you how tight he is to his word, to the parameters that he has in place. Because of what he said in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, as much as he wanted to, he could not save or redeem man from heaven. He had to send his son in the flesh. Because, according to Genesis 1.26, the only person, the only thing that has the right to operate in the earth legally is a flesh suit. That's why as soon that's why when your spirit or when, when you when you pass on, your spirit leaves this earth. Your spirit does not have access in this earth without a flesh suit. That's why Jesus had to come in the flesh. Jesus had to come in a flesh suit into the earth in a visible form. He didn't have access. That's how tight he is to his law. Those are the parameters that he had in place, and he could not break those. He could not go outside of that, because when a king, again, speaks a word, it becomes law, and not even the king can break his own law. We saw this in the book of Daniel, where Daniel was, uh, the, the, the king Darius, he was tricked into putting Daniel into a lion's den. And when the king found out he was tricked, he still couldn't save Daniel. It was up to God at that point. It was up to God. Now you say, well, there's been spirits in the earth. We've seen angels were in the earth. In fact, you remember that Jesus, uh, after he rose again, he came back. Remember, he was in spirit form. Remember, he told his disciples, you can't touch me. I didn't say you couldn't be in the earth as a spirit and you can see into the spirit realm. But he didn't do anything. See, the, 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 the Red Sea parted because Moses held out his staff. The walls of Jericho came down because men shouted and yelled. Goliath was killed and defeated because a young boy in the flesh threw a stone and hit him in the head. By the power of God, yes, but through the flesh. Through the flesh. That's God's parameters. So, God is not in control. Man is in control. Man is in control. Now you say, well, I thought the the authority and control was handed over to Satan. Yes, but Jesus came and restored that to any believer that is willing to enact that control once again, that authority once again. Satan has no authority. He has no power. Okay? Number four. Misconception number four. Jesus never preached the gospel of Jesus. He never did. Jesus never preached the gospel of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere he went. In fact, he would say the kingdom of God looks like this, and the kingdom of God is like that, and the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. It was all that he was, it it, it, it took over his entire ministry, his entire life, was about the kingdom. He never preached the gospel of Jesus. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. 
Uh, look at this in, uh, let's go to Luke 4.43 first. Luke 4.43. This might, this might surprise you a little bit. If I ask, uh, if I ask a hundred Christians, why did Jesus come to the earth? What was his purpose? 99 out of 100 are going to say to die on the cross so we can go to heaven. But Jesus himself in Luke 4.43 says, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities because for this purpose I have been sent. For this purpose. Now, yes, going to the cross and rising again, that is what gives us access into the kingdom. There's no way to get in because Jesus himself called him, he called himself the door, the entrance. I am the access. No one goes to the Father but through me. But his overall purpose wasn't to, to die so we could go to heaven. His overall purpose was to reestablish and restore the kingdom back on earth. The government that his father had originally set up that had got thrown away, that had been forfeited, handed over, and to restore that back to man because we're the ones that are supposed to be ruling and reigning on this earth, not the devil. A lot of us have just chalked it up and said, well, the devil can have it, I just want to go to heaven. Well, then we're saying that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. Because that's why Jesus came. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Look at this. This is what Jesus has to say about the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and as witnesses to all nations. And then the end will come. I can tell you when the end will come. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached. It tells you right there. That's when the end will come. That is why I believe the enemy fights this message so hard. Because he knows that's the message that's going to get me kicked out of here. See, when you go to church and you just hear a, a, a good old message that doesn't have to do with the kingdom or isn't wrapped in the kingdom... The devil's not concerned about that. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, it says that he comes to steal away the word. But the gospel of the kingdom is what concerns him. He's concerned about what we're talking about today. He's concerned about believers finding out that God really established a government system on this earth for his people to live and operate by, and that it has been restored back to them because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, the devil didn't even know what he was doing when he killed Jesus. Paul said this in Colossians. Had he known, they wouldn't have put him to death. He thought that was the end of it. He thought it was over. You know right now, there is nothing that needs to happen to the devil for him to lose any more than he is already. There is nothing that you or God or Jesus could do to beat the devil anymore. There's nothing you could do. That means we already walk in victory. I and mean, We discussed this in our series, Victorious. Perpetual victory. 
I'm not saying there's not a warfare. I'm not saying there's not a battle. But the warfare and the battle that we fight is not to beat the devil because he's already beaten. Jesus went, whipped, stripped, and defeated him. Made a mockery in front of him, uh, of him in front of everybody. It's done. That's why Jesus, right before he died, he said, it is finished. Done. Complete. Jesus is sitting down and there's nothing you can do that's going to make him stand back up. So you're not fighting the devil to whip him. You're not fighting the devil. I'm trying to beat the devil. He's trying to take, he's trying to hold on to stuff that already belongs to you. We're talking about keys. And if you have the key to your house and you use the key, go into your house and someone else is in your house already that shouldn't be there, what are you doing? We're taking care of it. How many of you are going to pour them a glass of lemonade and have it? Why don't you sit down and join us? No, we're asking questions. What are you doing in my house? You don't have access. You don't have authority. You don't have responsibility. You haven't been authorized. Why? Because he didn't have a key. The devil doesn't have the key to the kingdom. So the warfare and the battle that you're fighting when you're sick is to get your healing back because it already belongs to you. It's just in someone else's hands. See, there was a transfer that took place in the garden and now we have to fight that battle to get it transferred back to us. But just because he's holding on to it doesn't make it his. I mean, if someone right now were to go and find my wallet and hold it in their hand, that doesn't make it your wallet. You just found my wallet. And now I'm going to get it back. So that's the battle that we wage. That's the warfare that we fight. It's not to whip up on the devil when I'm just beating up on the devil. More Christians will actually attest to the devil beating up on them than them beating up on the devil anyways. I mean, I've heard, I've heard believers say, you know, man, the devil's been beating me, for, he's been tearing me up, and the devil's been working overtime on me this week. Everyone heard, heard that one? I've used it before. The devil's, he's been working overtime. No, he's been sitting down wondering when I'm coming to get my stuff. Because the only time the battle takes place is when I actually go get my stuff. So Jesus never preached the gospel of Jesus. The last one. The fifth misconception. Jesus did not come to establish Christianity or any other religion. He did not come to this earth, die on a cross, go through the pain, the turmoil that he went through, the death that he suffered, go down to hell, take the keys, go back to heaven and sit down so we could all believe something. That is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to reestablish the kingdom of God on the earth to restore what was lost in Genesis chapter 3. That is why Jesus came. He died on the cross. He did everything that he did to, to bring back to man 
the kingdom. And in the three years he was on the earth, he showed us what that kingdom looks like. That's what he spent three years doing. He came as a king, and he showed us what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Was there anything that he could not do? No. Was there anything that he could not overcome? I'll tell you, the only thing he couldn't overcome was people's minds. That was it. Of all the miracles, of all the signs, all the, wor- all the wonders, all the healings, the one thing he could not overcome was the Sadducees and the Pharisees' thought process. Everything else, he had dominion. Just like Genesis 1.26 said, he had control. Demons would run to him and bow down and say, please, please don't send us out. If a demon came to a lot of Christians today, they'd be the ones running. They'd be the ones falling on their faces. But Jesus came to identify the control, the authority, the power. He would look at storms. They would stop. He multiplied food. He cursed a, a, a fig tree. He raised dead people. He healed the blind. He healed lame people. He gave people their sight back. He gave people their, their, their tongue back, their hearing back. All that to show I'm in control. And everything we call a miracle to Jesus wasn't a miracle. It was just bringing the kingdom back in order in the earth. Here's the main difference between kingdom and religion. Religion tries to prepare you for heaven. That's all religion does. Religion doesn't offer us any hope on this earth. Religion doesn't offer us any purpose. Doesn't give us a plan. We just hang out in the sweet by and by until one day we get to heaven and it's all good. But Jesus preached that the kingdom brings heaven to the earth. That's exciting. Religion prepares you for heaven. The kingdom prepares you for the earth. The kingdom prepares you to get heaven in the earth. Now again, you're not, we're not going to see this earth. Uh, I'm not talking about a takeover. Um, I've become aware just recently that there is a, a, a teaching and a, a doctrine, I guess you could say, that's going around. It's called, you know, this whole kingdom takeover deal that one day that we're going to see the, uh, the kingdom take over all the governments of the world and, and, and we're going to see the, the, the kingdom, you know, back in its form in the earth. But that's not going to happen. Just go ahead and let you know, this one world government that you're hearing about, that's not kingdom-minded. That's naturally-minded. That's worldly-minded. There will be a kingdom takeover one day when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back. And I've got some stuff that would, I can't even say it right now, I'd blow your head off if I, if I threw it out there. But when we start looking, when you start looking at end times and you start looking at what the kingdom does with that, you just go home and read Revelation chapter 21 for yourself and see what you think. <laughs> Talking about heaven 
a, a, a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven down to the earth. And then read about the gold streets, read about the, the, the jewels, read about the gates, and then go back and find out where it's talking about. Because we always talk about those things in heaven. But read the chapter. I don't have it all figured out, but there's more to it than what we know. But the kingdom is what's been missing. The kingdom message is what has been missing. And so we're going to talk about the keys to the kingdom. And um, I think, you know, probably for at least four weeks here, I'm just going to lay a foundation of the kingdom. I'm going to talk about lordship. I'm going to talk about what it means to to be under the authority of the king. Uh, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom. Because how many of you know to be a, to, to be a citizen of the United States, uh, I mean, you you can't work for it. You can't earn it. You, you get it by what? Birthright. You're born in. We can all say that we're American citizens because we were born in this nation. Now, yeah, there's people that they have to apply for it and do all those things from other countries. But it's not a simple process. It's not just, hey, I want to be an American citizen. Okay, sure, we're looking for more of those. No. So there's a birthright. We're going to talk about the benefits. There's rights and privileges that we have for living in the United States. And if I was in another country, and I throw out, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen, that's going to save me from a lot of heartache over there. They can't just do whatever they want with me. they got to go to my government. And so we get caught up in the country that we live in, this earth, when we're really from another country, heaven. We have a... We have dual citizenship, is what Paul said. And so when things are going on around here, we have to say, no, wait a minute. This isn't my home country. That means the economy system of my home country, that's what backs me up. The rights and privileges of my home country, that's what I really have. And so those are things we're going to look at. We're going to continue to lay this foundation um, of the kingdom. And, you know, I, I, I've told you it's not a theme. It's not just a topic for me. It, it is the Word. I mean, if, I, if I'm talking about faith, and we've been talking about faith on Sundays, it's in the kingdom. Because faith is what drives the kingdom. You can't, you can't be in the kingdom without faith. You can't operate in the kingdom without having faith because you're believing in something you can't see. If I'm talking about love, well, love is the root of the kingdom. Everything God did is because He is love. The Bible says God is love. If I'm talking about marriages, if I'm talking about money, if I'm talking about peace, it all goes back to the kingdom. The, the simplest way to put it for you, I wear glasses. I have contacts on, obviously, but I wear glasses. Without my glasses or without my contacts, I don't see very well. I can see things. I mean, if I took them out right now, I could make out bodies, and because I know you, I could point out who's who. If it were people, you know, that I didn't know very well, probably would have a hard time. But, <laughs> but if I put my glasses or my contacts in, guess what? I now have a lens that helps me see better. The kingdom is the lens that helps us see this 
the right way. 3,800 different ways to view this thing. It's like going to the eye doctor and then flipping that thing. Which is better, this or this? And that's what we do. That's what we've done with the Bible. Which do I like better, this or this? Let's get the right lens on so we can see it clearly. And for me, I can tell you as personal testimony that the kingdom is the lens. This helped me. This may help someone. I'll close with this. This may help someone. I struggled for about the first four months after hearing the message. When I heard the message, it was nothing. It was easy. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. But the, the importance of it, the level of it, uh, how enveloped it was and everything else, that's where I kind of struggled. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because I grew up around the, the Bible and I grew up in church since I can remember. I mean, I'll, I'll be 29 years old this Sunday, and I've been in church for 29 years and nine months. That's how long I've been in church, okay? And the reason why I struggle with the kingdom message so much is because I had everything else that was already built up in me, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But what about this, and what about that, and what about what I used to believe about this? Not that it changed a whole lot, but it just put a different lens on it. And I struggled with it. It was like, I, you know, I don't know if anyone, those of you who have ever worn glasses or wear glasses, when you put on a new pair with a new prescription, it takes a little while to get used to it. The ground looks closer. You walk kind of funny. You're trying to figure things out. It was like that. And then I went and I heard a minister minister on the kingdom, and he said this. He said, most people, when they hear the kingdom message, they try to filter it through everything they've heard over all the years. They put it in their church filter. And that's what I was doing. I was taking the kingdom message and putting it what I already believed on faith. What I already believed on healing. What I already believed on prosperity. And he said, that's the biggest mistake people make. And I did it. He said, you have to take everything that you had ever heard and everything you ever hear of the Bible, and it has to go through the kingdom filter. The kingdom now has to be your filter. What you, what you see in the Word about faith has to go through the kingdom. What you see about healing has to go through the kingdom. What you see about love now has to go through the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the whole reason why this book is here, is the whole reason why you're here, is the whole reason why there's a God, is the whole reason why there's an earth. It's everything. Next week I'm going to give you four statements that we all fit in. That the kingdom answers. Four statements that the kingdom answers. We're going to bring that next week. And you'll see how you'll see just how much it hits home. If if any of this doesn't seem like it pertains to you, it does, trust me. Because the kingdom is where you work. The kingdom is your home. The kingdom is where you shop at, where your kids play sports, your schools. That's the kingdom, and that's what we're supposed to be making look like the kingdom of heaven. Say, well, how, how in the world can I bring heaven to earth? How can I make all this? And we, we look at it in big picture, and we don't just think in our lives. Well, I want my home with my wife and my son to look like heaven. I want my marriage to look like heaven. 
I want the people that I come in contact with to come in contact with heaven. I want my body to line up with heaven. It may not happen on big picture, big scale. All of a sudden, the, the, the numbers for same-sex marriages are going down and, and for rape is going down and, and the murder numbers are going It may not happen on those scales. But in my life, I know that I'm influencing people for the kingdom of God. And that's why these messages are so important. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for the system that you have put in place. We know that your word says that your systems, you have divine order. You have divine steps. And Father, uh, we, we desire to be in line with that. We desire to be uh, operating according to your system. And the kingdom is your system. The, the, the things that we've been trying to fix, the things that we've been trying to get in alignment, Father, I think that we're going to see them come in alignment because we're going to apply the kingdom to them. If, if our finances have been out of alignment, I thank you that the kingdom's going to help us get it back in line. If our marriage has been, uh, if our family or our home has been, if our job situation has been, Father, I thank you these things are going to begin to get in alignment because we seek your system and your order to how they should operate. Father, I thank you for the kingdom. I thank you for the, for the truth that has been unveiled to me. And I thank you for each person here, each believer, uh, that we receive this with open minds, open hearts, knowing that your word is truth, that we will be, that we will be like the Bereans. We will seek out truth. We will go to the word, that we won't just take it for what it is, take it for what we've heard or what we haven't heard, Father, but we will go to your word and search it out in Scripture. And Father, I thank you that we will be obedient to the law that you have placed before us. And I thank you that we are blessed because you have placed us in this earth to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.